out there, you are going to love this. Everybody else, hang on guys, I think we're going deep. My question for us today, does God reveal himself to us in nature? And I'm, I'm not talking about like a beautiful sunset, and I love sunsets. I'm talking about the deep things in science, the things that when someone explains them, your mind is wondering, how did people figure this out? Anything that's created has an authentication, whether it be an emblem, a trademark, a signature on a painting. Anything that's created by humans has some kind of marking on it. So why would it be any different with God? Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Now, if you're new to the Creation Today Show, my name is Eric Hovind. We are just on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time by turning the stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and the redeemer of mankind into stepping stones on their journey to know the truth. To my Creation Today partners out there, thank you guys so much for being part of what we do. Uh, you guys are keeping us going every single day around the world, and we are just incredibly, incredibly grateful for you. You're going to love this conversation because you guys love discipleship, and this is going to be, uh, again, a deep one for you. I'm, I'm sure... There's been a time in each one of our lives where we've had to ponder the question, does nature reveal God? Maybe you've heard of scientists in the past that have looked for God in nature. Well, today we're going to answer that question in a way that um, I can almost guarantee is different and deeper than you have ever imagined. But to do that, I need a lot of help. My guest today has his PhD in biochemistry and uh, molecular biology. His master's degree is in engineering physics. Um, and a uh, bachelor's degree is in engineering physics with a minor in electrical engineering. He is a Christian. Uh, he believes God is the author of all science, all mathematics, all logic, all reason, all life, and on his website it says all love. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Dr. Doug Corian. Dr. Corian, welcome to the Christian Today Show. Hey, thanks ha for having me. I am, I am uh, nervously excited about going deep with you into some of these things that you talked about in a, in a YouTube video I saw as you, as you literally show, and in your book, literally show science reveals God. So I know I kind of am giving it away there, but I, I'm kind of excited. How long have you been studying this to, to kind of come to some of these conclusions? So it started for me when I was a teenager, and in fact, this is my journey of how I became a Christian. Uh, when I was a teenager, around 15 years old, I was uh, really interested in physics. And I did go into physics in college after um, my high school years. So I pursued a career in that. Uh, but as a teenager, I was just super curious um, about science and, and was reading every, any book I can get my hands on. Um, and <clears throat> wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Um, so I didn't have a Christian belief to start with. Uh, it was sort of a clean slate. Um, wasn't really exposed to any type of religion as a child from my parents. So <clears throat> I was studying science and, um, studying Einstein's theories of uh, special relativity 
trying to understand those papers by Einstein and understanding of uh, the universe through his special theory. Uh, around the same time, we had some friends of the family um, who invited us to church. And in particular, they invited us to go to a youth group there. And so it was the first time I had ever opened the Bible at 15. And in the uh, opened up the book of Genesis, <clears throat> the the uh, creation story in Genesis. First time I'm opening the Bible, and um, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so it's sort of like the first thing he creates, um, and it seemed to be a very uh, focused um, perspective on the, 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 the nature of light in Genesis, but also throughout the rest of the scriptures, start un unraveling the rest of scripture, God refers to himself as light in, in many different ways throughout the scripture. What really kind of piqued my interest uh, at the same time I was studying Einstein's theories of relativity. His entire theory was, his special theory of relativity was built around the physics and the nature and the behavior of light. And that's how he derived his special theory of relativity. Um, and so there, there was a, the same friend invited us to a church, gave me a audio tape. And on that, you know, you remember the old cassette tapes? Oh yeah. And so I listened to, he said, you might want to listen to us. You might find us interesting. So I, I listened to it and I can't remember who it was. The person didn't really say who they were. It was just somebody speaking at a, in a crowd of people that had been recorded and I, I don't know who it was. I've tried to locate it. I've tried to find out who it was. Uh, but they were discussing Einstein's uh, theory of relativity and uh, light and how it, how it lines up with uh, God. Uh, and so this is what started me on that journey. And, uh, you know, as I pursued my career in physics and, and went to college and then uh, got older, I started adding more and more and more to the story of of the relationship between God and light. And so basically the, the premise is that um, when God created the laws of nature, he basically had, uh, he, he could have done it in a very arbitrary way. He could have chosen any laws he wanted. He could have made gravity do something different. He could have made light completely different. So the, the question is, if you're God and you're creating things for the first time, uh, do you put any thought into uh, how you're creating things to be able to endow it with the signature of who created it? So the very laws themselves, do they have some kind of signature in them that allows us to understand who created them, a signature of sorts, uh, a way of authenticating? And uh, I thought about this a lot. And I said, well, every, anything that's created has an authentication to it, whether it be a emblem or boss embossing, a trademark, a patent number, a logo, a trademark, a signature on a painting. Um, anything that's created by humans uh, has some kind of marking on it to, to, to show who the creator is. So why would it be any different with God when he created all the laws of, of physics that create our universe? Wouldn't he have en endowed those laws with a signature that spells out who he is 
Um, and so at, if you take that as a thesis moving forward and you start to study the physics of light, what, what I found is uh, through my research and, and through that initial tape that got me going on the path was that there's 18 different characteristics or properties of the physics of light, space, matter, time, and energy that specifically line up exactly with the nature of God, but not only just any God, but the God that's described in the Bible um, down to the fact that God is um, three in nature. He is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. All of that is encoded in the physics of light. Ladies and gentlemen, grab a pen, grab some paper, get ready to take some notes. Dr. Corian, take us deep into light. This is something, by the way, that has fascinated me uh, for years and years and years, just trying to understand, do we, do we know what light is? Is it a particle? Is it a wave? And some of the stuff that you talked about just shed light on the subject, if I can put it that way for me, uh, literally shed light on this. So take us into some of these characteristics of light that you that you've that you've discovered that show the character and the nature of who God is. Sure. So let's start with um, Einstein's theory of relativity. So we're going to learn some physics, uh, walk you through some basic understandings. These are the things that I was learning as I was a teenager before I became a Christian. And this is what led me down the path of understanding that uh, there's truth to the Bible uh, based on the fact that God, when he, created things, he said, let there be light. And then the different characteristics of the physics of light that line up specifically with God in the Bible. Uh, and so we have to understand something about special relativity. Special relativity, Einstein formulated it, kind of blew everybody's mind when it, when it first was originally formulated because it's so counterintuitive. But the more experiments we've done over the last hundred years, or 100 plus years have just proven his theory to, to multiple decimal places, hundreds of different times and different experiments. We There's nobody that debates or uh, questions Einstein's special theory of relativity. You might have also heard of his general theory of relativity, which is about the nature of gravity, but that's not what this is about. This is his special theory of relativity, which is really starts with the physics of how light works. Uh, when Einstein uh, started his theory of special relativity, his first assumption is that all the laws of physics are identical in all frames of reference. Meaning, if I'm in a spaceship and, and traveling you know, through space, and I do a physics experiment inside my spaceship, I'm going to get the same results if, if I do that experiment here on Earth I mean, same results. Yeah, th there's no privileged reference frames. I could be inside a car, moving inside a spaceship. I could be in a train. I could be stationary on Earth. If I do an experiment, I should get the same results. That's one postulate. The second postulate is that speed of light is the same in all reference frames. And that might sound like not that big of a deal, but let me explain to you how crazy that, that is. So let's, let's think about how we think about speed of objects. So here's two cars traveling down the road. Um, they're both traveling at 60 miles per hour, same direction. 
somebody standing on the road, if they look at the red car, they'll say that red car is moving at 60 miles per hour with respect to me, who's stationary. That same person will look at the blue car and say, well, the blue car is moving at 60 miles per hour as well with respect to me, who is stationary. But if I'm in the blue car and I look at the red car and I try to measure the speed of the red car with respect to me, what I come up with is the red car is not moving. We're, we're, we're neck and neck. We're moving together at the same speed. If I look over at the red car, it's not moving with respect to me. Now imagine taking those two cars moving at 60 miles per hour, transport them into outer space. There's no trees. There's no road. There's no nothing to look out, out the windows. And those two cars would just be next to each other. You wouldn't even think you were moving. Right. right. The reason you know you're moving on a road is because you can see the trees and the road going by. If you were in outer space with no landmarks, you would think you weren't moving. And if, if another car was moving the same exact speed as you are throughout space, you would just look over and say, oh, that car is moving, not moving at all. So what you have to do with speeds, speed is relative in our, in our universe. The way we think of physical objects, speed is relative. Um, so velocities or speeds add and subtract. So if I'm going 60 miles per hour and the car next to me is going 60, I subtract two speeds. 60 minus 60 is zero. So the speed of that car relative to me is zero. Okay. Um, so that's that's how speeds normally work. Here's another example. If I'm in this, the car going, a red car going 60 and the blue car is going 20, the red car is moving ahead of me at 60 minus 20 or 40 miles per hour. Right? It's the it's the difference between the two speeds. 60 minus 20 is 40. So that red car is gonna appear to be moving away from me at 40 miles per hour. Got so, it. Yep. So speeds add and subtract, and they're relative. Speed is always relative to something else, and you have to add or subtract the speeds of the two objects to get the relative speed between them. Okay, but with light, that's not what—that's not true at all. Light, the speed is always the same, no matter what your reference frame is, and that's the postulate or the the axiom that that um, Einstein started with in the special theory of relativity. So what, what this means is, okay, here's, here's a light beam moving away, uh, moving to the right at the speed of light. And the speed of light is the fastest known thing in the universe. It's 186,282 miles per second. So you have a light beam moving that fast. Now, here's a car. I have a super fast car. I can get up. Now, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Nothing can get to the speed of light, okay? No matter how much energy you give it, you can't. Nothing else physical as mass can get to the speed of light. It's impossible. That's another part of the uh, special theory of relativity. So, but let's say we could get to 99.99999% speed of light. We'd take a lot of energy to do that. But let's say we could get this car going to that speed. Well, like the two cars, think of the light beam as a car and this blue, like the red car and this blue car. If it's just subtracting two speeds, right, like we did with the, the cars, we would be really like neck and neck with that beam of light. You know, we would right. be, the beam of light would all be moving past us at 0.000001% the speed of light past us. We'd be, it'd basically just be going slightly ahead of us. 
Barely uh, winning the race, exactly. Barely winning the race, right? But with the speed of light, that's not how things work. That's It's not that I, traction thing. If you were to me- measure that light beam speed from this car, the speed of light would still be measured as the speed of light moving away what? from the car. Okay. That, that's hard for people to get their mind around that if you took speed of light minus 99.999999% the speed of light, you still got the speed of light. If it's traveling, it's still the speed of light going ahead of you. Right. We're still at the speed of light. So it, it doesn't matter what the speed of this car is. It's going to measure this beam of light at the speed as the speed of light. Now, if there's another car, let's say a red car that's now in the picture, and let's say this red car is stationary and it's not moving and it's measuring the same speed beam of light that just passed by and it measured its speed it would measure it as the speed of light so how can two objects moving at different speeds a red car and a, a blue car a red car that's stationary and a blue car that's moving almost at the speed of light how can both of those objects measure the, sa- the same uh, the same speed of that same object how can that yeah, happen that does- doesn't make sense. I mean, right. It'd be like, you know, it, 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 right. It doesn't make any sense. So, um, but, but you're saying it's true. That's really what would happen. Yeah. That's really what would happen. This, this is how light behaves. Okay. So it's, it's the only thing in the universe that works this way. Everything else, like, adds the, the velocities add and subtract. Okay. Just like, if I were on a uh, a truck and it was moving at 100 miles per hour and I could throw at 60 miles per hour on the ground, you put me on the back of a truck going 100, I throw a baseball, it's going to be moving with respect to the ground now at 160 miles, 100 plus 60. Right. But if I'm on a, let's say I'm on a spaceship moving um, at the speed of light, which we can't do. And I have a flashlight now, and it's, it, it also can do a speed of light, right? Yes. You would think it would be two times the speed of light now. Yes. No, somebody on the ground would measure at the speed of light. No matter, <laughs> no matter who measures that same beam of light, no matter how they're moving, what direction they're moving in, towards it, away from it, whatever speed they're moving, that speed of light never changes. It stays the same as the absolute speed of light. That's the only thing in the universe that's absolute in this way. Interesting. So, so this is the first character we find out about light. Remember, if God's making light, God said, let there be light, and he's making the physics that controls the behavior of light, and he wants to in, uh, impart into that physics a truth about himself. Right? You know, so yeah. what's the first thing we think about God? Uh, before we get into specifics about his name or, you know, Jesus and all that kind of stuff. What's the first thing we think about as a, a God that he's, that he's absolute. Yes. Right. God is absolute and light is absolute. So here's the first parallel that we see. And we know God is absolute because God said in Malachi four, six, for I, the Lord do not change. Um, I am, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He's the only absolute standard in the universe, right? Uh, everything else is relative respect to him. He is the absolute. Okay. That's so powerful. Right. So 
so that's the first parallel, but it, it gets better, better. It gets better as we go deeper. So, um, so this is where Einstein started with light. The speed of light has to be absolute for all observers, no matter what their frame of reference. So if you consume that's true and it is true, experiments prove that to be true, then everything else, space, time, matter, and even energy are all relative properties. They're not absolute anymore. So this kind of blows everybody's mind because we usually think of these things as absolutes. For example, yes. we think of time as an absolute quantity that's the same for every person. So if my clock goes by an hour, your clock should go by an hour. Right? That would be an absolute, you know, time is absolute the same for everybody, but it's not. So time is relative with respect to different situations between different individuals. Space, the length between two, you know, the length of an object is not the same uh, for different observers. So you might measure something as one meter and I could say, no, it's 0.8 meters. And, and we would both be right. Now I um, see now that, that almost feels like, oh man, that's that relativism of two plus two can be five if we want. But you're not you're not going there the way the world kind of talks about relativism today. You're yep. saying literally in physics, and it can be relative. Yeah, in physics, it can be relative, and the absolute difference between the two observers can be quantified according to an equation. Like, uh, so I'll show you what I mean by that. But even the mass of an object. So when you say this this object has a mass of twenty grams, well, that's not an absolute quantity either. That's relative. What? And so, but that's all falls from the fact that the speed of light is an absolute quantity. That means all these other properties have to be relative quantities. Okay. So let, let's go through the first one. Let's go through time. Okay. Let's go, let's look, take a look at time and you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. So let's do a thought experiment. You're on a train and you, you're sitting in the seat here on the train. The train's moving to the right. And you have a light source on the top. And you have a mirror on the bottom. And you shine the light. And it reflects off the mirror. And it comes back. Okay. Bounce, bounces off this mirror. Okay. What you're trying to do in this experiment on the train is you're trying to figure out what the speed of light is. How fast does light move? Well, how do you calculate the speed of anything? You take the distance that it moves and you divide it by the amount of time it takes to go in that distance, and that's the definition of speed. So many miles per hour, right? So yep. how many meters per second or whatever units you're, you're using. But you're on this train, and you say, I'm going to measure the speed of light, and so the, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this light. I'm going to have a stopwatch. I'm going to let the light you know, start here, reflect off this surface, and bounce back up. And once it gets back to the top, I'll stop my stopwatch. I know the length here. I can measure that with a, with a, uh, you know, a ruler or something. And, you know, twice that length is the total distance the light travels, goes there and back. And, and then I just measure the time. So I divide the distance divided by the time I get the speed of light. Right. Yeah. No big deal. Right. Now, what if you're on the ground, uh, 
you know, you're Einstein here and you're, you're standing on the ground and this train is passing by you. Let's say the train is made out of glass so you can see through it and you can see what's happening inside. What is this light beam going to look like to you standing on the ground? Well, this light beam is going to be tracing out a, like a diagonal path here because that, because everything's moving to the right, right? So at, this light is moving to the right, the mirror is moving to the right, the person's moving to the right. So as this light beam's moving, it's going to look like it bounces off the mirror and then comes up, right? So yes. if, I'm, if I'm looking at this experiment and I say, I'm going to measure the speed of light, I'm Einstein, I'm going to measure the speed of light now. I'm going to say, okay, the light traveled this distance and I got my stopwatch here too, right? Now, the distance that this light beam travels, if you notice, is longer than this distance, the person yes. on the screen, right? Because it's like the hypotenuse of a right triangle, right? So yes. the hypotenuse is always longer than any leg of the triangle. So this distance is actually longer than this distance. So the light beam travels a longer distance than it does on the train to the person standing on the ground looking in. They think that the light beam travels a longer distance than the person does on the train, right? Yes. So if the speed is the distance divided by the time, right, that light beam, if, if, he met, if Einstein measures the same amount of time on a stopwatch for this event to occur as the person on the train, the time on the bottom of the fraction stays the same. Let's say it's 15 seconds. They both have 15 seconds on the bottom of their fraction. But Einstein measures a longer distance. Let's say it's... 50% uh, longer distance. So that distance divided by the same amount of time would mean the speed of light is actually faster, right? But what was his first court? What was his first principle? The speed of light has to be the same for all observers, right? So Einstein can't measure a different speed for the speed of light than the person on the train, no matter Hope what your reference smokes. frame is. So the only so way, go ahead. Yeah, I think I'm getting it. I'm like, so you're saying, therefore, since light didn't change speed, we have to change something else in the equation, and it would be time that we have to change. Yes, exactly. You got it. So so the, to make the speed of light be the same for Einstein, his clock has to measure a longer period of time okay, than the person on the train, so that when you divide the two numbers, you get the same ratio. So I, I do a simple example here. If if the person on the tra train measures five over five, that gives you one, right? That yep. the person Einstein has to measure twenty over twenty. You know, longer distance, longer amount of time, right? To get the same ratio, to get the speed. So that means his clock has moved a longer period of time. So let's say the person on the train's clock went fifteen seconds, Einstein's clock made went twenty seconds. Okay, so their clocks aren't moving at the same speed. The clock on the train is moving slower than the clock in Einstein's hand. And notice the only thing that's different about the person on the train is they're moving at a certain speed. Okay, now at average everyday normal speeds like we do, we're used to here on Earth like the speed of a car, an airplane, 
the differences in the amount of time that we're talking about of these clocks are in the picoseconds. You know, 10 to the minus 12th. Okay, you're not going to pick it up on a normal clock. Um, but they have done experiments with atomic clocks that have that preciseness or resolution to them on airplanes. And they come when the plane lands, the two clocks are off by exactly the amount of, that his theory predicts. Oh, my and, goodness. And in fact, you know your GPS system for your phones, okay, which is based on satellites around the Earth, they're all moving at a certain speed around the Earth. So the clocks on the GPS satellites are actually moving slower compared to the clocks here on Earth, okay? And, now, so, and they literally have to program that into the satellites. You have to program it into satellites with Einstein's theories of relativity to, to make sure they can accurately uh, pinpoint your position on Earth. If they didn't make those corrections using differences in time, we would be uh, several hundred miles off every day from from the, uh, the what our actual coordinate is. Oh, my. So all of the GPS satellites have his equations plugged into the physics of it to make sure <laughs> they can pinpoint people. So they know this is a real effect. This is not, you know, some theory. Clocks move at different speeds depending on what speed you're moving at. Now, so here's where it gets really interesting. So at, at the speeds we normally move at, like in a car or airplane, we're not going to notice these changes in time, okay? It's not going to even be a second difference. Like if, you know, but if we get closer and closer to that 186,282 miles per second speed, the, the, the clocks move even slower on your spaceship, okay? If you act, as physics shows, the equations show that if you actually could reach the speed of light, the person's clock on the train would completely stop. It would, it would not be moving at all. So the person on the train would be timeless, okay? Wow. They would be experiencing no time at all. So they would think no time has passed at all. Um, not even a second has gone by in their life because the clock stopped moving. Now, that clock, it's not just a mechanical clock slowing down. It's everything. Like their brain, you know, everything in them is slowing down. But the person on the train doesn't notice this slowdown in, in time. You think everything's normal. It's only the person standing outside the train or the spaceship that sees your clock moving slower, but you think things are progressing as normal. You don't think things are moving slower. You know, you think they're normal, okay? Because um, this is relativity, the theory of relativity. Relative to me, your clock is moving slower. Inside your reference frame, the train or the spaceship, you think things are going as normal. So if you got to the speed of light in your train or your spaceship, your clock would come to a grinding halt. It would stop. Now, if you came out of that speed, like all of a sudden you just stopped your spaceship, okay, and now you're moving at zero speed, no time had passed for you, but the world around you, billions of years have come gone by. Wow. Okay? So now what's happened? You've traveled into the future. You haven't aged, but now you're in the future, depending on you know how fast you were going and how long you were doing it based on the equations. Uh, you can't get to the speed of light, so nobody can actually become timeless, but 
if we could get to 99.999 with, with a lot of energy, right, then our clocks would slow down and we would be traveling into the future because the clocks around us would be going much faster, okay? And then we could come back to the Earth and it would be maybe, you know, a couple thousand years in the future, okay? But the clocks on Earth seemed like they were going in the normal uh, speed. And you would just think 10 minutes went by while, you know, 100,000 years went by on Earth or something like this. So that's what I mean by... Time is relative now because the speed of light is the same. But if you can get to the speed of light, you would be timeless. Right? So here's another parallel. God is timeless and wow. light is timeless. Okay. So God sees past, present, and future all at the same time. Like the, the future, uh, he's not experiencing time the way we are. In a linear progression, past, present, and future are all occurring simultaneously. He's timeless. But we don't have anything here in our technology to be able to get to do this. We can't if get if we did it. I gotta tell you, that sounds like a great plot for a movie. I gotta be honest. <laughs> that sounds like a really good plot for a movie right there. <laughs> so here's our second parallel. So God is, you know, absolute. Light is absolute. God is timeless. Light is timeless. Now, light is the only thing that's exhibiting these characteristics in the universe. It's not like this cup right here it can do this or anything else we physically know. The only thing it can do this is light. Um, and so and, and the Bible says that God created light, but he also refers to himself as light. Now, I'm not saying that God is a physical beam of light. That's people sometimes misinterpret what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying God is a riding on a physical beam of light somewhere, um, or He is. A, I'm saying that when God created the physics, the behavior of light, and the rules that govern the show, He created these very peculiar, very counterintuitive law laws of nature and and light, so that these laws would parallel or be an analogy, a physical analogy of his spiritual characteristics. So he took all of his spiritual uniqueness, all of the characteristics or attributes that make God unique, and he put them into the physics of light, um, which the physics of light is not just about the physics of light, as you can see. It's about the physics of time. It's about the physics of mass. It's about the phys physics of space, length. Uh, all these different characteristics are, is basically everything. Is, is so light is basically at the top of this and it's controlling or calibrating how all these other uh, properties that we that make up our existence behave. Um, so this is a very strong um, it, proof of sorts to me that the God described in the Bible is the real God. Because uh, wow. it, gets, it gets much more specific than this. I mean, this is like, okay, this is kind of interesting right now. You know, maybe maybe this is where the analogy stops. You know, but and, and you're saying yeah, you're saying you got 18 <laughs> different characteristics of light that because yeah, you go into much much more detail. You're saying that his signature of omnipresence, uh, uh, um, his omnipotence, those things are literally written into the characteristics of light. Yeah, 
Yeah, so we, we can do it. another one. Let's do another one since we still have well, time. Well, hang on. Before we do, unfortunately, yeah. I got to let my Facebook and my YouTube audience go. Guys, you guys are awesome. I hope you're scratching your head already, and we haven't even gotten to the good stuff. If you want to get the good stuff, a couple ways you can do it. Number one, you need to get Dr. Corian's book, The Author of Light. It's available on Amazon, or you can go to his website, Science with Dr. Doug, for Dr. Doug Corian sciencewithdrdoug.com and get his book, The Author of Light, to actually go through these. If you want a couple more, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us and watch the rest of the show along with our partners. I guarantee it'll be interesting because, uh, Dr. Doug, what you've done in, um, in comparing these and actually getting into the very details of light and what we know about it and how it shows the characteristics of God, it really is like a signature on all of creation, on all of the universe, that he is God. And it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant way to do it. I love what you've done. So, guys, if you, don't, uh, if you haven't gotten it yet, go to Amazon and get The Author of Light, the book from Dr. Doug Corian, and, and check it out. Or go to sciencewithdrdoug.com. Uh, you're going you're gonna to want to check that out and check out his videos. So thank you guys for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next week. Come on over to Creation Today if you want to join us for the rest of this. Thank you for joining us for this engaging conversation. To view this and many more conversations in their entirety, we invite you to partner with us at creationtoday.org partner.